Welcome to episode three of Anbury. This week, we're talking to Brandy Murphy Signs. It's a long listen, but it's worth it. She talks to us about starting and successfully running two businesses, surviving a horrific accident, walking away from a suicide note, and surviving the devastation of a hurricane that destroyed her home. She lives every single day to her absolute fullest. Good morning. Good happy Sunday morning. We're here with Brandy Murphy Signs. Hi, Brandy. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. How are you this morning? I'm great. I'm so excited good. to be here and interviewing you. We've talked several times this week, but this is a little bit different. This, we are finally doing your Anbury Think New and Change Your World interview. Are you ready? This is it. I'm as ready as I'll ever be. You are born ready. All right. So we're going to go ahead and jump right in. If any of our viewers have any questions for Brandy, um, any comments or just want to interact with us, then you're able to do that through the comments. I can see those and I will relay your questions on to Brandy. All right. Perfect. So let's get started. Brandy, you were born and raised in Southeast Texas, born and raised. You graduated high school. You broke into the construction industry, which is male dominated, with a, success, a successful septic tank building business, environmental resources. You started with Lime Life, and within two years, you became a lead beauty guide with your own team. You rebuilt a home after the devastation of Hurricane Harvey. And you did all of this while still trying to unpack past trauma that occurred in your early life. So I want to start at the beginning with you. Okay. How would you describe your childhood? Um, honestly, mostly good, but there were pieces of it that were um, distant, um, it's another word I could use to describe it, um, trying, desperation, um, approval seeking, it, it was, it was a situation where I was shown and taught from a very young age that women were here to do a woman's job, which would be cook, clean, do the laundry, take care of the kids, do the, the, the girl things. And that boys had their role and they were to make the money, take out the trash, do the, the car fixing and, and certain things that boys were meant to do. I was taught that from a very young age. Um, I remember being, um, not not being, but feeling somewhat looked down upon because I was a girl. And I don't know if that was intentional. I don't think that it was intentional by any means. I, it took me a lot of years to come to that, but I don't think that was an intentional thing. I think it was accidental um, or maybe that I took that on myself. But that's what I remember. I remember being a caretaker for my younger brother. Um when my dad was mad, we had to 
get out of his way and be quiet and let him be mad. And it was my duty, I feel like, probably that I took on to protect him and take care of him. To protect your younger brother and take mm-hmm. care of him from your, from the temper. From my dad. When he was, yeah, he was very, very angry person. Um, would throw things sometimes at us, near us, raise his voice. Um, if he had a bad day at work, we could tell immediately and we knew to keep our mouths shut um, just to keep out of the line of fire. And I don't think he did it intentionally. I think he did the best that he could, but it affected us. When, and you said that you've said a couple of times that you, you're not sure where it came from, that you possibly took this on yourself, but you, you would have to think that the message of a woman's role and a man's role at such a young age has somehow come from something. Do you think, do you think it's the fabric of the time that you were a child in Southeast Texas? Do you think it had something to do with the religion you were brought up in or just your family dynamic? I think it's a little bit of all of those things. Um, my parents grew up in a time when the woman stayed at home and took care of the kids or had a full-time job and worked and still was able to take care of the kids and cook and clean and do all of the women things or women things, because I don't like that. I have grown to, I don't like gender roles. Um, and I, I worked very hard to stretch across those roles for myself to feel whole and worthy. And that was a hard journey. Um, I definitely think that my grandparents and great grandparents, because they were all part of our lives as kids, played a big role in where I saw that. But it wasn't ever verbally taught to you that this is how you should behave and that because you're the older sister, it's your job to, to take care of, of your younger brother or to protect. It wasn't necessarily verbalized in the sense of you're supposed to protect him or you're supposed to do this. Um, I'm also the oldest of nine grandkids. Um, and it was always verbalized. You need to set a good example for them. You're the oldest. You need to show them what's expected. You need to lead by example. So I was always thrown into that leader role, be the best you can be because you're teaching them, they're watching you. So, so as that, you nav- well, as you navigated through, and what age would you say that you took on that leadership role? Um, three. My three. next cousin was born when I was two and a half, three. So, I mean, I think the moment they were born, I was kind of pushed into that role. And I think it was personified when Keith was born when I was four. So going from four years old, all the way into your adolescence and into your teenage years, how, what was your self-perception of? What, as a little girl, when you thought about what I'm going to be, what I'm going to do, what was 
two questions. First, what was, did you feel the expectation of you? What did people expect you to become? But the second part of that is, what did you want to become? What was Um, your dream? I think my dream at that point at four, five, six, um, I always had a creative mind. So I always somewhere in the back of my mind, I always knew that I wanted to do something creatively. Um, I don't know that you even know about this about me, but I drew a lot. Um, I drew um, beautiful dresses and clothes a lot. Um, I wrote um, coloring and art was very big. I had gram- a grandmother who was very artistic. She was very outspoken. Um, so she, I wanted to be, I wanted to personify that. But at the same time, I had another grandmother and a mother who showed me what mothering looked like and what a joy that can be and how to keep a home and, and make it happy and, and just be yourself to a certain extent. So to answer your question, I feel like at that age, I wanted to be probably older than four or five, but obviously a mom was always on my radar. I always wanted to be a mom because I was always trying to take care of everybody else and fix everybody else's problems. But then when I realized I could have a career, I wanted to be a fashion designer, believe it or not. When did you you realize that you could have a career? Um, I think the older I got watching my grandmother, I call her granny. Um, she was a surgical nurse and I had surgery after surgery because I had holes in my eardrums when I was little and she would always, I would have surgery at her surgery center so that she could be in the surgery with me. And I think when I got old enough to realize that she worked there and that was her job and she was so incredibly comforting to me in those moments when I was terrified Mm-hmm. that's when I realized that there's more to this life than just being a mom. I can help people in a job too. So you wanted to be a fashion designer. What age yes. did you decide you wanted to be a fashion designer? Probably eight or nine, somewhere around there. Something so what like happened? That. How long did you hold on to that? A couple of years. And then I got into 4-H. Um, so you I moved think I was, in. I think it was eleven or twelve when I joined 4-H, and that was complete accident. But it changed the course of my life How completely. So? Um, it gave me a sense of self that I never knew existed before. At that age, you don't have a sense of self. You're ten, eleven, twelve. Um, <clears throat> starting, you know, puberty and all of that and all that stuff that comes with that. And then coming from a home where, um, there was a lot of negativity and a lot of negative talk to me, at me, around me. Um, that gave me a sense of self and positivity and confidence that I had no idea existed. 
So what negativity was told to you? Um, that I wasn't good enough, that I didn't, I didn't have good grades. Um, I struggled through, I still struggle with math. Um, I had a hard time. I'm a very visual person. So sitting in a classroom and being quiet and not understanding what I'm being told because it's not being shown to me in a way that I understand it, um, got me in trouble a lot. I talk a lot. So I got moved around a lot. I do remember one point, um, my dad sitting and taking off of work to sit in a classroom with me to keep me from talking. Um, which was mortifying. I think that was in fourth grade, fifth grade when that happened, that, that was terrifying and it didn't work. It didn't make me stop talking, but then I became bullied because my daddy was in the classroom and I got in trouble and my daddy came to sit in a class. Mm -hmm. So that was a whole nother thing. But when I got in 4-H, um, it was a totally different thing. Um, I was the same as everybody else as when I walked in that door. I was exactly equal with everybody because we had started this club and none of us knew what we were doing. So right. it was easy to just be the same as everybody else. I was surrounded by people that I already knew, most of the people that I already knew. So that made it easier. And it was a safe place. So you went through high school in 4-H and FFA. And I, to watch you with animals was like watching you just do the most natural thing in the world. You it were was good very at it. You were. You were extraordinary at it. Thank you. And but I was I was with you through high school and you experienced trauma throughout Absolutely. your high school years. That was those four years of high school, probably the hardest, actually from about seventh grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, probably sixth grade on. Those were the hardest years of my life until I graduated high school. Until I was about 19, actually. So trauma starting in sixth grade and staying with you and until you were 19 years old, a year after you've graduated high school. Actually, what? two years for me. Graduated at 17. That's true. Our birthdays were a month were after graduation. So, right. but given that, what can you share or what are you willing to share about that trauma? Um, well, I'll tell you that I was sexually abused um, multiple times by multiple people. Um, and I never voiced it. I never said the words I was molested or I never said the word I was raped until I was in my 20s. I don't remember exactly how old I was, probably 21, 22, before I actually said those words out loud to anybody. But I was screaming for help in other ways. <clears throat> and because I couldn't vocalize it because I was ashamed. I thought it was my fault. 
I felt like because of what was being told to me in my home and that I was a failure and that this was my destiny, that I was just, this was what was supposed to happen to me. Um, and for those of you who are going through this, <clears throat> that's not true. That's not true. You don't have to own that. You, that's not your fault. Um, damn. <laughs> it's a strong um, word you used that you thought. It's hard to say out loud. It's, it's really, similar. even now, I'm 38, and it's still really hard for me to say that out loud. Um, and that changed me forever. And it made me drink a lot. And it made me, because I was constantly told based on other people that were in my house that had done things a certain way, I was told that I was going to be a whore. I was going to be a whore just like this person. I was going to be a whore because I had a boyfriend when I was young. I was going to be a whore for this reason or that reason or whatever the reason, it didn't matter. That was the word that was told to me. And it may have only happened once or twice. Honestly, I don't remember. But in my head, I heard it every day. Just a whore. So... I personified it. I became it. I allowed it to become me. Is that why you use the word or the phrase you thought you were destined to have this life? Yes. That's where I think that started and came from. Because it was... Do you, do you think that the shame and the guilt that you, that you carried around with you. I think, I think when trauma happens to a woman, it's very hard when sexual assault rape happens to a woman, it's very hard for a woman to speak out anyway. But do you Absolutely. attribute some of that guilt and shame to your feeling that this was supposed to have happened to you? And because I didn't want anybody to go, I told you so. And I, they probably wouldn't have, listen, let's be real. <clears throat> but in my mind, because I had heard that I was a whore or whatever, you're going to be nothing. You're going to, I was told that a lot too. You're going to become nothing. Um, you're not smart enough, whatever. That was going to solidify that. If I said this happened to me, they're going to go, well, you did it to yourself. I knew this was going to happen. And it was going to mm -hmm. just be, again, my fault. Even though there, there's no truth to that. That was my own truth that I put upon myself. Was I didn't that give your own truth? In my head, it was my own truth. In that, in that time. Now, I know that it's not. But in, that, in those moments, it was. How long did that abuse last? Um, until I was 18. And it started and I, in sixth grade. It started about sixth or seventh grade, yeah. So how did you 
move through high school on a day-to-day being so young and trying to register and sit with, as you put it, this truth that you had at that time for yourself and this guilt and this shame and how were you functioning and getting through normal teenage angst and (laughs) hormones and friendships? How were you Um, able to do that? I faked it a lot. I had a self-confidence. I portrayed a self-confidence that nobody could touch me. Nobody could hurt me. I knew I was better than you. Um, I knew I was worth it. I was, I knew I was pretty. I knew I was smart. I didn't need anybody to fulfill that for me. I knew it. I faked that every single day and then came home and journaled all of that out onto the page and, and let it out on paper because it was my only outlet. Um, I actually have a stack of journals in my closet right now from that time. That was how I did it. You were dealing with ongoing trauma that started with you in sixth grade and going through high school, coming home, trying to digest and unpack this on your own through a series of journal journals that you were then locking up and tucking away. Yeah. I remember you in high school and you were upbeat and you came across very happy. Oh yeah. I very rarely saw you not smiling or laughing. We laughed a lot. Yeah, we did. And that's true. I learned um, from a very young age. Again, um, it was very clear to me that you leave home things at home and you deal with those at home. When you're outside of the home in any sort of public setting or with um, other family members outside of your intimate home, that stays tucked away. Those are separate things. You don't ever bring inside the home, outside the home or vice versa if you can help it. Um, So I learned to compartmentalize very early and personify uh, perfection. My home is perfect. I have the best childhood. I have the best of everything I could ever ask for. Um, Don't look at me. Don't you dare look at me and think that anything may be wrong with me because that can't happen. Do you still compartmentalize? I mean, I think we all do. We have to. It's a tool that we're given to be able to cope in moments where it's hard to cope. So yes, I absolutely compartmentalize to this day. Um, And is it all trauma or is it all bad? No. Um, I use it for good too. I I'm able to keep business and pleasure separate. That's compartmentalizing. Um, So it's a good tool to have uh, if you're using it in the proper manner. Because this was happening to you at such a young age, what do you think prevented you from becoming bitter and calloused? Or did you go through a phase where you were bitter 
and you were callous. I was, say, I was very bitter. I was very callous. Um, there were many nights where I thought that I wanted to trade lives with other people, other family members. I prayed for bad things to happen to people in my life on a regular basis. Um, and I was very depressed, but I didn't show it. I actually tried to take my life one time before and, and I never followed through with it. I thought about it. I set everything up. I went as far as sitting there thinking, okay, that I need to write a note. And then something in my brain just clicked. And I, I have to say in my mind now, I feel like that was my grandmother telling me because she was the most positive person I've ever met in my entire life, hands down. Um, she always wanted to help me with school. She bought me a series of tapes or VHS. I think they were VHS and they were expensive back then. I remember my mom saying that they were expensive and it was called where there's a will, there's a way. Um, and I have told myself that so many times in my life without realizing where it came from or realizing that that really stuck into my brain as heavily as it did. Um, but that's the only thing I can contribute to being able to pull myself out of it was that she subconsciously taught me that I didn't have to be negative and that when you did good things, good things happened. Or when you tried hard, good things happened. At the time when you were working through this and you didn't want to tell anyone because you were worried that they would go, I told you so, or they would confirm your belief that this was your destiny. It was yeah. destined to happen to you. Do you feel like anyone in your life might have suspected that something like this was happening to you? I mean, it's possible, but if they did, they didn't say anything that I remember. Do you ever think about that? Does it ever affect you? No. Um, that's not actually anything that I've ever thought about. Um, no, I, I can't say that I've ever actually sat and thought about that. Um, I know that if somebody, there are several people that I know for sure that if they knew would have said something, I, I believe in my heart. So I don't think they suspected anything. I think it did a really good job of hiding it. Honestly. I mean, some people are hearing some of this for the very first time right now because I've never actually said it out loud to anybody but my husband. And how does that feel? Honestly, it's scary um, because I know so I'm hurting people. People's There's for sure one person right now whose heart is breaking because they didn't know because I didn't say it. And that that breaks my heart because I wasn't brave enough, but that's not a truth. That is, um, It's not a truth. And I know that it doesn't make it less scary and it doesn't hurt me less that I'm hurting that person. And that if I say anymore, it's going to hurt more people. Um, I don't like to hurt people because I don't, I know what it feels like to hurt. How did you come out of this trauma? <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> but how did you come out keeping the mindset of, I don't want to hurt anyone. I don't want anyone um, else to hurt. I knew 
that I was not going to be that way because I knew what it felt like to hurt. I knew that I, from a young age, I was taught or shown or whatever you want to call it to be a leader. And I took that very seriously. I still take that very seriously. Um, so I knew that I had to change that. And I, and at some point, and I don't honestly know when that actual turning point happened, probably somewhere around 18, 17, 18, 19, somewhere around there. I finally realized that I didn't have to be this way, that I didn't have to continue this pattern and that I could change it. And then Oprah confirmed it for me because she said I was watching Oprah. I had an aha moment with Oprah. She said out loud on TV one day while I was watching that you can be the person that changes the entire destination of the rest of your family from here on out. You can be that person. And I decided right then I'm that person. I'm not going to be like this. From that aha moment, that decision, what was your next step? To get away from it. Push it away, push it down or deal. Remove myself from the situation, say it out loud for the first time and try to heal it. Is it important in the healing process for you to say it out loud? Yes. Even if it means breaking someone's heart? Yes, because that one person's heart that's breaking, there are 15 other hearts that are healing every time I say it, because those people, 15 people now know they're not alone. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I know I'm not alone. Thinking back of that girl that would come home from school and finally stop smiling and just put it all out on the pages. What would you tell her? To speak your truth. And that even though it's scary, it's worth it. And you're worth it. And that it'll be better. And that not everybody's bad. How long until you realize not everyone's bad? I'm still learning that. You're still learning that? I'm still learning that every day um, because so many things you hear in the media, which is why I don't watch the news. Um, I try not to watch the news. I try not to listen to anything negative because my heart picks up on that. And my heart hurts for people I don't know every single day when I hear things like that. So I have to not, I have to remove myself from it because I can't handle it. But you recently in your life found yourself in a group situation. And there was another woman talking. And just to illustrate how much you pick up, you stood up. And spoke for her and shocked the entire room. Um, Mm -hmm. But she needed that in order to be able to speak her truth and say something out loud that was scary for her. And because I said it first, not knowing where it came from or why I said it, it just came out of me. I was able to help her start on healing process. You stood up for her and, and made a situation less scary so that she could then start on that journey. But how do you, because that's so strong with you and you're still unpacking your own emotions, your own thoughts, your own perception, how are you navigating and separating those? Sometimes I don't until it comes out. Um, most and, and honestly, things like that happen a lot to me. I'll say things out loud that are somebody else's 
and not know why I said it until they speak up or something happens or I, 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 I'll get an explanation eventually, but it paralyzes me. And I sit there in that moment. I sat in that room and listened. I literally couldn't speak. I, I couldn't move. I couldn't, I was just paralyzed and I can meditate myself out of it. Um, and I can, I can understand after everything has kind of settled that that was for her and not for me or for this person and not for me. Because you've chosen not to close yourself off. Yeah. That you've left yourself open. Yeah. And then that's a choice I make every single day mm. to not be a closed person. I mean, the world is mostly good. Let's be real. There are a few people that make it not so good. So if you can be kind through it and help one person at a time, why not? Um, just because something bad happened to me when I was young, I chose to not allow that to define the woman I am now. But how do you define the woman you are now? Um, I define myself as um, an entrepreneur, a friend, a sister, an aunt, a mom, a wife, a daughter-in-law, proud. I define myself as a success because I wake up and breathe every single day with gratitude and I go to bed at night every day with thankfulness. Where does your gratitude come from? Everything around me. I am grateful for the air I breathe. I'm grateful for um, the clothes on my back, the hair on my head, the not so much hair on my eyebrows. <laughs> I'm thankful for literally every single thing because, you know, it can be taken away from you so quickly. So you need to be thankful for what's right in front of you while you have it. Was your gratitude born out of a sense of loss? Um, a potential sense of loss. Absolutely. There was a big thing that happened between my husband and I, or with my husband and I, not that long ago that um, was scary. And we thought we were going to lose a lot. And through that process, it actually made me a stronger person because that's where I realized that this is bigger than me. This is bigger than him. This is bigger than this situation. You have to be in every single moment. You have to appreciate every single thing while it's right in front of you because it can all go away in the drop of a hat. That didn't happen for us, thank goodness. I'm thankful for that situation for those reasons. It taught me how to be strong and uh, be grateful. So let's go back to you at 20, 21. Okay. When did you start environmental resources? Actually, mm -hmm. I kind of didn't start environmental resources by myself. That's not true. I didn't start it by myself. Um, when I was 20, I went to work for Montgomery County. I was in the permits department. I was a permit clerk intaking permits for buildings and septic systems in the county. Um, true to my inner self, um, I'm very outspoken. I learned to be outspoken in 4-H. And if I had something to say, I would tell you. And I would tell you the truth, too. Mm -hmm. um, so I saw things that I didn't necessarily think 
needed to work that way. I saw we could make this process a little bit more efficient. Let's try doing this. So I was outspoken about it. And there were ladies in the office that I didn't like that because I was young. They had been there longer than I had. I'd come up with these ideas. You were messing with their status quo. You're messing with the world. It was a hostile environment. (laughs) Um, And I didn't help the situation because I was young and hadn't learned to shut up yet. So I ended up um, quitting. And that's where my husband and I met was in that office. And he was an inspector with Montgomery County. And um, we started dating while we were working there. That didn't help that situation anymore. Um, So I told him, and I had just recently, probably within the last five months, moved in with him Mm -hmm. and out of my parents' house for the second time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I said, I need to quit this job. I can't do this anymore. Um, it's brutal to come. I hate coming here every day. I don't want to live my life like this. I'll find something else to do. And he said, okay, do what you need to do. I've got you. You do what you need to do. It was the first time in my life. Somebody said, I've got you do what you need to do. That I want to was- see you right there. You were following the plan. You had a job that was supposed to be routine but you started shaking up that routine. Was it, a, was it a seed that was planted? I don't know what I want to do, but I know I can't do this every day. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't, at that point I hadn't, I wasn't thinking forward yet. So you told him, I can't do this. I can't, I can't do this every single day. And he says, do what you've got to do. I've got you. What made you jump from that conversation to the two of you starting a business? Um, we went home that night. Actually, I went home that afternoon. I went to my dad's office. Um, I went and had lunch with him and I told him I quit. And John and I had already kind of been discussing that maybe we would start, um, designing systems and go on our own, but we didn't know what that looked like. We had, neither one of us had ever worked for ourselves before. We'd always worked for other people because that's what you're taught that you, that's what you do. You get a nine to five and, you go to work. Um, I always kind of knew I wasn't built for that and that I wanted more than that. I always kind of had that in the back of my mind. I never really thought it would happen. So when I quit, he said, okay, this is it. You're quitting. You're going to do this. You're going to start designing septics. Well, listen, at that point, girl, I had no idea what the hell I was doing. Literally no idea. But by the next day, I was already in it. I had a DBA. I had a bank account. I had all these things. The very next day, the without day a after business that, plan, without a business, no capital, without, capital, without even a year's worth of experience, no business degree. Yeah, let's be real, no business experience. <laughs> so, how did, when did you start seeing uh, environmental resources coming together? So at first, the first three years, it was not environmental resources. It was Aquasource. And I did it mostly by myself. Um, Of course, John kind of knew people in the industry. So he was sending people my way. And I failed miserably (laughs) the first time. Um, I did it for about two and a half years. Mm -hmm. And I did not have the discipline. I did not have um, the knowledge. I didn't have the 
authority. I was young. I was a woman and I was in a man's industry and I was in the position to where basically I was telling them what to do because I'm designing this system for you. And I'm telling you, this is what you have to now go and install. And that wasn't really well perceived. So it was a huge failure at first. Um, and then he quit and we changed the name and the rest is history. <laughs> we, we suffered greatly for the first three years. Um, he cashed in his retirement. It was terrifying. His mother cried. Um, yeah, <laughs> but we knew we could do it. Um, and so we did. At any point, did you do a business plan? No. Okay. All right. We'll talk later. No, I'm... Okay. <laughs> but it's still um, working. It is still working. You were going through and, and building this and you failed the first time. Given who you were at that time in your life, what was your driving force to wanting to go out to your own is, was there anything bigger or outside the fact that you just didn't want to go into that office anymore? Um, obviously um, I wanted to be, I, I worked really hard my whole life to be the girl that could do all the things that boys could do. I needed to prove mostly to myself, but in my mind, I was proving it to my dad that just because I'm a girl doesn't mean I can't change a tire or I can't do this or I can't do that. I, I definitely think subconsciously there was that in the back of my head because he always wanted to be a business owner and was never able or didn't do it. I don't know why he didn't do it, but he just never did. Um, but he told us several times that he always wanted to. I so knew that I had to prove to him that I could do this. So when did your driving force change? from external wanting, wanting to do something and prove the status quo wrong or a person wrong to an internal driving force. When I was in my mid twenties. Why did it change? What happened? Um, I had a miscarriage. How did that change your perspective and your driving? Um, actually it was, it changed when I found out I was pregnant. Mm -hmm. um, I decided that I needed to start living for somebody other than that person because I was never going to, get what I was seeking that I needed to do it for myself. If it was really going to work, I needed to do it for myself. And that's when there was literally a shift and things just fell into place. Well, you miscarried with that pregnancy. How did that, did that hurt you? Did that, did that set you Obvious, back? Obviously. Um, but there again, nobody knew I was pregnant because I didn't tell anybody. And um, because I wasn't married and that's taboo in my family. Um, I, came, I come from a good Catholic family. I was already living in sin because I was living with this man that I wasn't married to. Um, I couldn't possibly tell him that I was pregnant now. I'm freaking out. I didn't even tell him because I was freaking out. Um, and then I miscarried. And I miscarried all by myself. I didn't tell anybody for five years. For five years. Mm -hmm. How do you wake up every day with that? Because it, it's, it would seem to me that at that point in your life, your driving force was still somewhat in trying to prove to others that you were, you were enough and you were yeah. worthy. Yeah. And you're still not fully unpacking the trauma that you had experienced. So you're still carrying that around. 
and you have created a new business venture with its own risk. You've gotten pregnant and that is coupled with a lot of emotions, right? Because you're not married, it's out of wedlock, but from a very young age, that's, that was what you were supposed to be as a mom. And then that was finally coming. And then you lose the pregnancy. And yet for five years, you're still carrying around all of these secrets and you just add on one more secret. Yeah. How are you walking through your day? I don't think about it. There's that compartmentalized thing again. You put it away and unpack it later. When did you start thinking about it? The very moment my feet hit the floor. And then I would have to say, okay, that's enough. You've had your cry while you showered or while you brushed your teeth or whatever. Suck it up, go to work, make some money, make somebody proud. And then I would go back to sleep at night thinking about it again. Make somebody proud. No. Well, yes. Make somebody proud. But I would go back to sleep thinking about what a failure I was because I lost this child. What did I do to deserve this? Was this because, and that's what I told myself a lot. What did I do to deserve this? Was this because I was such a whore or was this because I drank too much or was this because this, that, or the other told fed myself those lies a lot. How many children have you lost? Three. You've lost three children. Mm -hmm. Do you still think that it's your fault? No, I don't. It took me 10 years to get to that, but that's not my fault. God had better plans for me and for them. And I'm fulfilling my purpose. And I don't know what that is fully because he doesn't tell me, but he shows me in little ways every day. This is part of my purpose is speaking out. Empathy. Mm-hmm. Compassion. How do you find it every day? Honestly, I, I don't know. <laughs> it, it's just a piece of me that, that I can't change. It's the best part of me. And I allow the best part of me to come out without apologizing. When I had to. Unapologetic. Um, when I turned 30. That was a very, a very big year for me. Um, I feel like I decided in that moment, look, I'm 30. Um, there was um, a sense of adultness surrounded by that number because we had a family trust that I was now um, going to be in control of for myself for the first time. Um, and that was always the number that I was told as a child. When you're 30, you can. When you're 30, you can. So that was, I was terrified to turn 30. And because I put such a negative light around it, because I was so terrified, because that's when adulthood happened, you had to start being wise and all these things are supposed to happen when you turn 30. I didn't feel like I had any of that. And so I, there again, I felt like I was a failure because I didn't, I didn't feel wise and I don't have all this money set aside. And at my age, at that point, when my parents were 30, they had two kids and a savings account and all these things that I didn't have. It was kind of maybe 29 instead of 30 because my grandmother passed away and left me a vehicle and I had an accident and I should have died literally should have died in that accident. Um, I was in a convertible Mazda Miata and I drove hydroplaned, um, flew through the air, hit a tree mid air, 
on the passenger side of the car and flipped and then landed 24 feet down onto the side of a ravine and had to crawl out of the windshield of the car after I kicked it out. And all I had was one scratch. But I'll tell you that that was the most peaceful moment of my entire life. When I need peace, that's where I go. Back to that car in that accident. Number one, that is my, you know, biggest fear to fly off of a bridge or fall off of a bridge into water still is to this day, my biggest fear. I've, it happened and it was terrifying. I was completely submerged underwater. Um, and then came back up and was still able to breathe. Thank God. But it was peaceful because it was my grandmother's car. And I fully believe 100% without a doubt. I know that she was in that car with me at that moment. And I could feel her arms wrap around me and keep me safe. I felt at peace. I just knew I was going to be okay. And then I was. And I think life changed after that for the better. Did you have a new... A new perspective? How did your, how did your perception change on? Uh, I should have died and I didn't. Um, I knew that my grandmother was now, she was there with me. And I knew that if she was there with me, number one, she was there with my kids. And she had them in the Mm -hmm. palm of her hand and they were watching me and making sure that I was okay because now I have even more purpose. I felt this overwhelming sense of, and I have no idea where it came from, but a complete overwhelming sense of, I need to do more. And so I did. So this was only eight, nine years ago for you. Mm -hmm. It was nine years ago, 10 years ago. Have you redefined who you're supposed to be? I redefine it every day because I don't know who I'm supposed to be. Um, I'm just trying to be the best that I can be. Um, and that changes every day. Some days I need to be a wife. Some days I need to be a business owner. Some, sometimes that changes midday. Um, so I, I allow, I allow it to, to form whenever it needs to. Um, and I can turn it on and off when I have to, when, if it's too much and I can't take it, I can say, I can't deal with this right now and I'll come back to you. And focus on what I need to. By not having to attach yourself to all of these definitions that you had to somehow fit into, it sounds to me that you're living in a present day. Is that empowering? Is that free Ab- to you? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's absolutely. When you don't let anything define who you are or what you're going to be, the possibilities are endless. And wonderful feeling that is to know that, wow, one minute I could be sitting here or writing a letter to someone and the very next moment someone could knock on my door and change my life or I could change their life. Is there another side to that? So living without having to work within rules, is there another side that you risk not having clear direction and a clear path that you're traveling towards your goals. I mean, yes, somewhat, but it's not like I just run through life willy nilly. Whatever happens, happens. I mean, to a certain extent, yes, but I also manifest that for myself. Um, I did that when I started Lime Life. Um, I did that when I started environmental resources or when I, 
I, I do that every time I start something new, including if I'm going to cook something new, I say to myself, this is going to come out amazing, or I'm going to have a good day today. If I speak that out loud and I feel it deep within me and I know it, and I'm not speaking in a negative manner to myself, I think that was the hardest thing for me to learn is that I can't, what you tell yourself is more important than what anybody can ever say to you. I could tell you right now, I don't like your shirt, but what you tell yourself is more important than what I say, because what you're telling yourself could be more along the lines of, she doesn't like my shirt, so I'm not worthy. She doesn't like my shirt, so I'm not I'm good enough to be her friend. I'm not pretty. I'm not this. Everything you speak to yourself actually has a massive effect on your brain. And that affects everything around you, every energy. So I had to learn to stop speaking negatively to myself and remind myself that that's the story you're telling yourself, Brandy. And you need to look at it from an outside perspective, which is not an easy thing to do. And I'm no. still working on it. How do you navigate not living within someone else's rules or what society or family has put on you and allowing yourself to remain open to opportunities and possibilities, but still having enough structure and direction to keep moving you forward? It's, it's a discipline. I have to um, look to the future I didn't used to do that, but I do now um, and say, okay, this is my end goal. I want to be say this rank within this company. So what does it look like from in my head? I'm saying, what does it look like for you to get there? And then I have to say, these are the steps I'm going to need to physically do in order to get there. And then I have to say, this is what is going to happen. This is who I'm going to do it with. This is, which direction I'm going to take in order to do that. I don't necessarily have to write them down. As long as I feel like I can say them out loud, then I am creating that for myself. And then I also have to, you have to take action. You can't just say these things. Oh, um, I want to earn $5,000 this week. You can't just say that, sit down and it's not going to fall into your lap. There's work that has to go into it. You have to actually put forth effort and take action to make it happen. Is that how you define manifesting? I mean, there's several steps to manifesting for me. One is affirmation. You have to say it out loud and you have to believe it. Can't just say it out loud just to say it out loud. You have to actually believe what you're saying. Um, And then you have to put forth the steps for the opportunity to happen. Because if you say, I want to go to New York, you manifest it and you put it out there. And then the opportunity comes for you to buy a ticket and you don't do it, how are you supposed to get to New York if you don't put forth the action to do it? Does that make sense? Yes. How do you reconcile manifesting of good things happening to you versus bad things happening to you? I actually have a different way of looking at negativity. Um, I take it as a lesson. Um, Failure is something that is going to happen, whether you want it to or not. Um, It's there. And in order to be successful, you have to fail. You will fail in order to be successful. You just have to fail up. You have to fail forward in order for it to happen. So when negative things happen to me, take Harvey, for example. Um, We had five and a half feet of water in our house. We lost almost everything um, that wasn't 
able to be put in our vehicles and they were cram packed <laughs> full of stuff, let me tell you. And I came in, I knew what I was going to expect because this has happened to me before in the same house in 94 when I was in high school. And so I knew what I was coming into. I came in, I surveyed the damage, I had my tears. Um, and then I said, thank you. I literally stood in the middle of the house and said, thank you for this blessing. Because now I'm going to get a new home, new things, new memories. Thank you for this opportunity. How are you so certain that you're going to come out the other side? I don't know. I just know. What's in focus expands. So if I'm focused on this bill's not going to get paid, this bill's not going to get paid. I don't have any money. I don't have any money. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how I'm going to do this. You're that's negative energy that you're giving yourself. You're telling yourself all these negative things. But if you say, I don't need to worry about that because I know that it's going to get taken care of and you continue on your path and you take every opportunity that's thrown at you and you're open to those opportunities. You don't have anything to worry about. And the more that continues to happen to you and you notice it, the easier it becomes to naturally do. So at this point, it's natural to me. I don't have to think so about it's not it. About not worrying about something. It's not about, I don't know how I'm going to rebuild this house. So I'm not going to worry about it. It's not about, I don't know how I'm going to pay this bill. I'm not going to worry about it. It's not about putting it out of your mind. This is different from you compartmentalizing. Completely, completely different. But but what I feel like you're saying is you're not allowing that worry to dictate what your actions are going to be. Exactly. I let it in. And then I say, nope, I'm not worried about this because it's going to get taken care of. I don't know how yet, but I know what's going to happen. And then I make those steps forward. So it's a confidence within you that I, I might not have a clear picture of how I'm going to do this and figure this out, but I'm going to do it. Yes. And it's not a confidence. It's, um, it's different than confidence. This is faith. How did you hold on to your faith all this time? Um, did it you was ever difficult. Let go? absolutely. Um, absolutely. I let my faith go a lot. Um, I pretended in high school that I was so faithful and that I loved God and Jesus and I did not at all. Um, I didn't understand how anybody could. Um, but after that accident is when I, I honestly feel like, I know this sounds like malarkey to a lot of people, but I honestly feel like there's a part of my grandmother's soul inside of me. That's where most of this is coming from because I didn't used to be like this. And when she was this way, when I was a teenager, I was like, this lady is crazy when she would tell me all these things. Um, and she wasn't <laughs> because look what it's doing to my life. Is all of this, that, uh, and, and you wanting to be creative, still having this creative outlet. Is that what led you to limelight? Actually, that's a funny story. Um, I rejected lime life for about two months Why? when I first heard of it. Um, I didn't want another business. Um, I was terrified of being too busy at the moment and it was direct sales. And I had done that before. I did Pampered Chef for three years and it wasn't what I expected. Um, I knew that it was going to be a little bit of work, but I didn't know to the extent of how much work it was going to be. Um, alongside doing another business, that's a hard thing to do, to do two businesses at once. So that was the main reason 
I rejected it. And I, and I thought this is going to cost me money that I don't want to spend on makeup. And then, and then it changed. Um, I started watching um, a few videos that my friend sent me and I, I knew there was an opportunity here. This was a good company. I did a little bit of research. I knew that the sister company had been around for a very long time, that it was a family owned company, that they had good values, that they wanted to keep things um, small. And I appreciated the fact that their mission was to help women be empowered and know their worth and get paid for it. That spoke to my heart and they meant it and they still mean it. How would you explain Lime Life to people that look at Lime Life like a Mary Kay or some other multi-level marketing? I mean, it is a multi-level marketing company, but we're different in that we're not a direct sales business that decided to sell makeup. We're a makeup company that decided to go into direct sales. So first and foremost, that was important to me. Our CEO created this company out of empathy and warmth for other women. She saw a need for great products to get into the hands of women that didn't have access to them. These products were only available to pro makeup artists before this happened. By allowing people like me who wasn't a makeup artist to have the availability to products that, I mean, they're great products, but that's not all of it. It's the culture. It was the first time in my life that I worked with a group of women or, and actually before I even joined, I saw it happen. And I went to a party, a launch party for my friend that decided to join and I was going to support her. I knew that I was going to buy things because I had already heard wonderful things. Um, I get to the party, the person directly above her has four kids, young toddlers. They were two, I think at the time, twins. And then she had two older boys and her husband all drove from Dallas to Austin, stayed in a hotel and her whole family, including these children sat in the car through this party. I found that incredibly amazing that she would take the time to leave her family out in the car and that they would support her enough to stay in the car for a couple of hours with toddlers was amazing to me. And then the support that I saw the person above her give to everybody in the room and her confidence and her, she was a makeup artist, a pro artist. Um, Just the things that I learned while I was sitting there in that room are things that you can't take from anywhere else. I would have never gotten that from any other company, I don't think. Those three people right there in that moment showed me what collaboration over competition looked like. Because here are three women in the same business looking to make sales, coming together to help each other. Has the sales techniques that you've practiced and honed in Lime Life help environmental resources? To a certain extent, um, I had to learn how to advertise because with environmental resources, we didn't do that. We didn't have to do that. Um, It was all word of mouth and by referral for us. Um, So we were lucky in that aspect that we've not had to do any advertising. So that was a change. I had to work a little harder at it, but, you know, I'm, I'm learning every day. What's next for you? You know what? I don't know. 
I'm open to whatever opportunity is thrown my way. How do you define brandy and success? How do you correlate those two? I'm successful every day. I don't look at it as one thing um, necessarily. Money definitely does not define my success. Um, I know for a lot of people it does. Um, I could be at zero and I would still consider myself damn successful because I know who I am and I know who I would like to be and I strive to be that every day and I'm helping people. How do you view yourself? How are you assessing who you are? And do you give yourself credit for surviving? You know what? Um, It took a lot of years to be able to say it out loud, but yes, I do. I give myself a lot of credit. I feel like I'm a very strong, independent woman who knows what she wants out of life. And I'm not afraid to jump off the cliff and grab it if I need to. And I don't take no for an answer. (laughs) What advice would you give to women and men out there that aren't quite sure how to survive today? One step at a time. Take one step at a time and do it because of fear. Do it through the fear. Do it scared. It will make you so much stronger in the end. Um, And you can't do it by yourself. When you were sitting down and all you had to do was write a note, a goodbye note, what was that first step out like for you? Um, Freeing. How were you able to put your foot on the ground and move forward? How did you pick yourself up in that moment? Honestly, it was an uncle of mine. I was meditating before I knew what meditating really was. Um, And I have an uncle who was a drug addict. He's my dad's brother. He was my favorite person on the planet when I was little. He taught me all about Prince and Michael Jackson and Cyndi Lauper And he was amazing. And he was the first person in my life that I saw be fully himself all the time and unapologetically. And he died when I was eight. Hmm. He was clean. I had heard his story many times before. Uh, It was shoved down my throat. I'm thankful for that. But as I was meditating in that moment, trying to decide what I was going to write on paper, I just heard him say, get up and walk away. This is not you. And you then hope- purple rain came on the radio that solidified that I was not supposed to, that I was, that's not what my journey was supposed to look like. I needed to get up and change something. Do you hope that your story comes to someone that is hurting right now? I absolutely hope every day that I can say one thing or show one person that you don't have to suffer through life. Your life can be so full of joy and happiness. And just because you had a bad thing happen or a couple of bad things happen, if you let that define you, it'll kill you. You can't let that define you. You have to be better than that situation was. Is Um, anybody ever really broken? No, I don't. I don't. I was broken down, but just like a car, just because it's broken down doesn't mean it's not fixable or lovable. And are you lovable today? Absolutely. And I'm lovable more because I love myself fully. Are you able to love others because you love yourself? Much more. I mean, I'm still working on all of that, but. (laughs) Are you enough? 
today? I'm enough. I'm enough today. I'm enough every day. Are some days you're too much? Some days. (laughs) (laughs) Especially if you ask John. (laughs) Well, I want to thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you for allowing me to share. Oh, I didn't allow you to do anything. I'm just here to ask you some questions. And uh, you allowed your story to be shared and you have empowered not just yourself, but so many others. You're brave. So. You're brave. Thank you. And Thank you've you. always been brave. I feel so, like it. Um, I absolutely have enjoyed our last hour and a half, even with the weird technical difficulties. <laughs> I have to say you're an absolute inspiration. I hope that you get everything that you go after in life. Thank you. And if anyone wants to reach out to you. Absolutely. I'm here. Their story with you or ask you, hey, how do I get through today? You're open for that. I'm absolutely open for that. Wonderful. All right. So... We're going to close up this interview. Um, I, you did tell me this month was, is it this month or next month? It's a, the month of April is Infertility Awareness Month. And what do you want to speak to on that? Um, that it, you don't have to be scared to talk about it. Infertility is nothing to be shameful about. Um, we are made to feel as women like we're not good enough. If we can't bear a child, um, I will never be able to bear a child. I know that in my heart. Um, It's taken me a really long time to be okay with that. Some days I'm still not okay with that. Um, But that's not something you need to feel shame around. You need to be proud that your purpose is more than just that. Even though being a mom is the most important thing some people think they can do. Um, Being an aunt is important. Being a sister is important. Being a wife is important. Being a a friend is important. It's just as important. You are just as important with or without a child. Well, let me be the first one to wish you happy Mother's Day with your three. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being brave. Thank you for being um, encouraging. And I do want to share this with you. Before my very first interview went live with Ann Bree, um, I had the interim producer here and he was setting up all the, all the technical equipment and we had ordered Chinese food and Chinese food always comes with a, a fortune. And what's yeah. interesting is that that meal was before the first interview with Ann Bree was before yours and mine first podcast Podcast. and my fortune cookie. And I'm not a big believer on this, but it was too good. That's why I kept it. Uh, My fortune said, and it isn't mine. I've come to realize today. It's not mine. It's more yours today. Others were inspired by your courage. Oh, I love that. That's your mantra today because I've been inspired by your courage. Um, I hope that other people have been inspired by your courage. And even if you're not ready to speak your story, 
and talk through your pain, um, you're not less than. Absolutely not. <clears throat> Absolutely not. So thank you for speaking thank you your for truth. That. Thank you for giving me the platform to do it. This is just a springboard for you, Brandy. I, I think it probably is. Um, and I'm going to be honest, that was the very first time I've said it out loud to that extent all at the same time to anyone other than my husband. That Things like that are a part of you for a reason. They, they're the framework to who you are. That doesn't mean that that framework can't change and that you can't drape beautiful drapery over the top of it. Oh, wow. Well, I want to wish everybody a happy Sunday. Um, speak your truth and lean into who you are. And if you're not sure, then just remember that we are and you are amazing and you are brilliant and you can do this. And this you're worth you it. You're worth it. All right. Bye, loves. Tune in next Bye. week. Bye. Thank you guys so much. Bye.